Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So I'm curious, in the room, across our campuses, 12 Stone Home, how many of you tend to lean towards being a DIYer? do-it-yourselfer. Anybody? Like something breaks, why call a plumber? Daddy's got it. Anybody? Curious? All right. I, I like to think of myself as one. My wife is watching from the Braslin campus, and she's shaking her head like, no, no, you ain't. I like to think of myself as one. If something breaks, let me fix it. You got something broken, maybe, maybe it's time for daddy to step up and fix it. The problem is, most of the time, things start to look more like this when I'm done with them, right? Fixed. How many of you ever heard duct tape and WD-40 will fix anything, right? If that doesn't fix it, replace it. Listen, my wife goes, I want a porch. Build me a porch. You got it, babe. I'll, I'll build you a porch. You're welcome. What's wrong with it? I mean, don't let the kids go out there, but we'll be fine, right? Maybe, maybe your wife's like, something simple. Will you hang the toilet paper roller in the bathroom? Put it somewhere smart, would you? Here's where it ends up. In the cupboard. I don't know how you're supposed to get to the toilet paper but job done, right? DIY project. Many, maybe you're not into DIY, but maybe last weekend, if you're in the Southeast or maybe if you're watching in the Northeast this weekend, you built a beautiful snowman. Maybe the last thing you put your hand to build was a snowman. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's the snowman we want. The problem is in the Southeast, we build trash snowmen because we never get enough snow. Our snowmen look like this. You got leaves and sticks and cut grass. We never can get a beautiful snowman. See, sometimes you want to build something, and it didn't play out like you wanted to. And y'all were so proud of your snowmen all over social media last week, and I'm kind of like, that's ugly. It's gross. <laughs> see, see, today we're sitting inside of a story in Scripture. Remember, we're in this origin series where we're starting from the beginning. Where did we come from? What are these origin stories that shape how we move forward? And today's story is a story of a people who tried to build something, and it didn't play out like they planned. But let me, allow me to catch all of us up inside of this, because this story we started four weeks ago, and today we're building on our origins. And so this story started the Garden of Eden. Remember this teaching? We sat inside of Genesis 1, and God said, let us make, and they made and created everything we see. And they said, let us make man and, and woman in our image. And God made this beautiful paradise, the garden. Everything was as it was supposed to be. And then in Genesis 3, Sin enters the world. The serpent tempts Adam and Eve, and they partake, and they lose the paradise. The paradise you and I were created for was lost because of sin. And then as the result of sin started to play out, we see a couple chapters over that Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, got into a, an argument about how they were supposed to honor God, and Cain killed Abel. One brother struck down another brother. You see the results of sin playing out. And then several chapters over, the world begins to get even more sinful and more sinful. And then we see Noah and the flood. And the flood came and God provided a boat for Noah and his family, the only righteous people left on earth. And God said, we'll start over with you, Noah. 
And then chapter 10 of Genesis, God sort of lays out the genealogy of all of Noah's kids after the flood. He said, go, in Genesis 9, 1, he says, go repopulate the earth, spread out around the earth and repopulate it. And for several generations, they begin to repopulate the earth, starting from Noah's family, his sons repopulated the earth. And then today, we jump into our story in Genesis chapter 11, and we find people a mere two, three generations after the flood building a tower. This story is called the Tower of Babel. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe as a kid, your grandma taught you this story. Maybe, maybe you, you went to Sunday school back in the day. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard of it. It's sort of a small little story tucked in between genealogies. It's a story tucked in between the flood and, and Abraham, just nine verses. But there's a lot to unpack and for God to teach us inside of this story. And today we're going to be sitting inside of Genesis 11. And I want you to sort of jump into the story with me. Again, it's several generations. The flood happened. No one has family survived. They start to repopulate the earth. And so quickly we find ourselves back to where we started from. Here's what it says in Genesis 11. Let's jump in the story together. Genesis 11 verse 1 says this. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Pause. At this point in history, there was one common language. So you never bumped into somebody and they said, hola, como esta? And you're like, what? I didn't get that. Everyone spoke the same language at this point. So you could travel and meet people and all the languages were the same. And as man traveled in the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and made their home there. They said to one another, come, let us make blocks and burn them until they are hard. They're starting to build something. What are they building? They use blocks for stone and tar to hold them together. Then they said, come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that touches the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, or else we may be sent everywhere over the whole earth. Here's the deal. When I was taught this story as a kid, the way I was taught it was that these people were trying to literally build a tower to get into heaven. Like they would build enough bricks that it would reach all the way into the sky. And when they step off the last step, they'd be like, hey, God, we made it. We're here. What's up, God? I think, I think their motives are more complicated than that. See, we, we can teach this story as a children's story, but in my research through countless theologians, the, the why behind this tower was sort of all over the place. There's all kinds of different reasons they built it. In fact, I think their motives were multifaceted. Why were they building this tower? Their motives were multifaceted like you and, our, you and mine are. Like when I make a decision, there's usually a couple reasons why I made it. And I don't know what it would have been. Some, for some people, they were going to build this tower for protection and security. Some people were trying to build it to build a life on their own apart from God. Some were angry at God and they thought God needed to be held accountable for the flood. Some of them was just raw arrogance and pride. But for all of them, the seed of this decision was rebellion against God. See, here's what's interesting. They give us their own words in Genesis 11, verse 4. Here are their own words, their stated purpose, the thesis of their research paper, if you will. This is why we build it. They said, come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that touches the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves or else we may be sent everywhere over the whole earth. I want you to just, I want to lay this out. We're going Sunday school style. What was their stated reason? Here are their four reasons. Here are the plans of the Babel Tower. They planned to, one, build a city. Secondly, they planned to build a tower in the city that reaches up to the heavens. Third, they planned to make a name for themselves. And fourth, they planned to not be dispersed over the whole earth. 
And I want you to see this. Plan number one and four and plan number two and three, they connect. I want you to see it. They plan to build a city so that God will not disperse them all over the earth. Genesis 9-1, God said, go spread across the earth and repopulate. They built a city, built walls around themselves to literally insulate themselves and say, God, I ain't going. And then two and three, they plan to build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they can make a name for themselves. So that when people would see that great tower from a distance, they'd say, those people in the city of Babel, those are the people. Those are great builders. Those are leaders. Those people are incredible people. Here's the reality. Thus far in scripture, all the sins have been pretty easy to recognize. Cain killed Abel. Murder is sin. That's easy to see, right? Garden of Eden, don't eat the fruit. They ate the fruit. That's easy. But what was the sin? What was happening inside of this story? Here's how I would say it simply. It was rebellion against God and replacing God with themselves. They were rebelling against what God told them to do and then replacing God with themselves. And this is still happening to this day. Many of us, you might be sitting in one of our campuses or at 12 Stone Home and you don't recognize it yet, but the spirit of God is going to open your eyes. You're still rebelling against God and trying to replace God with yourself. I want to unpack the, the, the first act of rebellion, they were building a city. When God said disperse across the earth, they folded their arms, planted their feet, looked in God's face and said, nah, I know better. We're, instead of spreading across the world, we're going to just go ahead and build a city right here. And we're going to insulate ourselves from your influence, God. And we're going to build something and arrogantly look you right in the face and say, you said to spread out and repopulate. We said, we'll build a city. It's kind of like my, my son, Lincoln. He'll come in often, and he's the youngest, so he, he, he thinks he can get away with, with a lot of things. And so he'll come and be like, can I have fruit stacks? It's like 5.15, dinner's in 10 minutes. We say no. He does this from time to time. Here's what he does. He'll be like, oops, I opened the package. I guess I might as well have it now, right, Dad? What he doesn't know is I'm more stubborn than he is. I'm like, nope, throw him in the trash. I said no. See, he thought, if I just open the package... I'll, he'll force my hand and have to let him eat these fruit snacks. It's like these people thought, if I just build a city, there's no way God will say abandon the city and go back to my plan. We will just, we'll convince God that, listen, you can't touch us. We'll do our own thing. This great city would be them building their own paradise. See, remember the slides. What all of humanity has been doing since the garden is trying to get back to it. So you were created for the paradise of the Garden of Eden. You were created to live that way in intimacy with God in, in a perfect world. And inside of our humanity, we crave to go back to paradise. And so what they were doing is God said, go repopulate the earth. They said, no, we'll build our own paradise. We'll build our own city, put our own governing structures in place, make our own rules, have our own government. We'll do it ourselves. If you won't let us back to paradise, God, we will build it ourselves. And I can imagine them talking like, listen, look, the city's going up. All right, you're going to be this guy in government. You're going to be in charge of this. And, you're, and they were making these big plans. They thought they had it. They determined to build a city where they could gather together in one place without having to obey God's command. And then inside that city, they wanted to build a tower. And they were building a tower to replace God. Listen, Ultimately, when you dismiss God's commands, you have to replace God himself as well. 
You can't live in open defiance and still call him your God. See, most historians believe what they were building based on the way they described the mud bricks and the tar and how they were stacking. They were building a ziggurat. It's a weird word. A ziggurat. They were building like a a stepped pyramid, which was a religious structure back then. The Egyptians used to build those in honor of their gods. And so they weren't building a tower that was used for infrastructure. They were trying to rebuild sacred space without God being invited to it. See, they weren't just building a tower. They were building their own God. And they wanted to replace God with themselves. This tower of Babel was an anti-kingdom, if you will. God was repopulating and rebuilding the earth. And they said, we're going to exclude you from this. This is the ultimate act of independence instead of dependence on God. They planted their feet. They folded their arms. And they said, nah, we know better. Isn't that a crazy thought? To look God in the face and say, no. You remember the first time your young child rebelled? Like looked you in the face, made eye contact like a pro and went, no. You remember that, that moment? Like, I, it's like 12 months, maybe 18 months, right? Somewhere in there when they start to have their own little will. I'll never forget each of my kids. I remember like the moment where I said, listen, go put that over there. No, I, I didn't. I was confounded because I love this little thing more than anything almost. And, and yet he's looking at me and I'm like, I want to, I didn't, but I wanted to just punt him. Like, what are you doing? You see, they had mistaken my kindness for weakness. They thought my, my, my goodness and my kindness towards them was actually a weakness that they were going to exploit. See, they thought at Babel, what's God going to do? So they could look him right in the eyes and say no. See, but God had a response as well. The story doesn't end with them building this tower and going, we did it. God had a response. Here's what it says as we continue in Genesis chapter 11. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of men had built. Pause. God came where? Down. However big they built that tower, God still had to come down to get to it. The the, the size of this mighty monstrosity of a tower they were trying to build, God still had to step down. What they thought was incredible, God still had to go, we got to go all the way down there. (laughs) They thought they built something significant. God still had to come down. And the Lord said, see, they are one people and they all have the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Now all they plan to do will be possible for them. Pause. You can read that and and hear fear in God's voice. Like, oh no, if we let them continue, they're eventually going to overthrow me as God. No, I can assure you that was not his intent. Here's what, here's what God's intent was. He said, listen, God is saying that they have enough momentum in their rebellion that if he doesn't do something now, they're going to grow increasingly more vile and wicked. See, God's about to put a stop to this, not because he's mean or hateful, but because he wants to stop the rebellion now before they go too far. And God was not afraid of them getting too powerful that eventually they would overthrow him. Don't miss that. But he continues. Come, let us go down and mix up their language so they will not understand what each other says. What is God's strategy? It is not to send another flood. He promised he wouldn't destroy the earth again. 
although these chuckleheads deserved it. God did not send another flood. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mix up the language so they can't talk to each other. So the Lord sent them everywhere over the whole earth. What was God's initial command? Go all over the earth. They took a detour, and then what still happened? The Lord sent them everywhere over the whole earth. God will not be mocked. Listen, and they stopped building the city. So the name of that city was Babel because the There, the Lord mixed up the language of the whole earth. The Lord sent the people everywhere over the whole earth. God wanted to say it twice. Hmm. I sent him over the whole earth. More words. And by the way, I still won. You're not going to defeat the plans of God. There's no tower or city that you can build that will stop the will of God. If God gives a command, it will happen. I think there was a window of time where those people thought they did, though. We did it. It got far enough that they had built something there. They had built a city. They thought they had it. And maybe you've heard the verse that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is what it looks like when God opposes the proud. These proud, prideful, rebellious people. And all God had to do was do this. You can't talk to each other anymore. And it was over. Like all the work that they had built in this city all came to nothing. And all God had to do was go... You can't, you can't talk. Like, think about trying to build a great city when you're speaking one language and this guy's speaking another language. And you're dropping stones on people. You're going left and they're going right. Like, you can't. All it took was that small little shift and the whole building project ended. The God of the universe could have destroyed them, but instead he just went, I'm going to scatter you and confuse you. And it's because I eventually want to redeem you. See, I think there were moments where the builders in Babel thought were actually doing it. See, I think when we're building things for our own glory, thinking we're going to build our own way back to paradise, I think there are moments where we can look in the mirror and go, we're doing it. It's actually working. And yet, here's God's perspective in Psalm 2. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It just shows the side of God that I think is it's beautiful. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. See, the Lord can look down from heaven and you can be building whatever you want. But if you're going against the things of God, his response is like, it ain't going to work, dude. I was the dude who flooded the earth. You think you can build a city that's going to flood-proof you? I'm the one who created the earth. You think you can defy me? What are you thinking? See, I, I, could, I could take this teaching 20 different ways. From here on out, literally, I have pages of things, and I'm like, here's a whole teaching on this thought. Here's a whole teaching. Will you allow me to teach the thought that arrested me at a soul level? I want to teach the thought that I've never, I've never read this into the story until now, but it messed with me. And it honestly was like a, a flashing light going, caution, caution. Here, here's the question. What gave these people such brazen confidence that they could thwart the plans of God? See, when I read this story in hindsight, I look back and go, y'all are dumb. <laughs> you think you can build a city that will keep God out. You think you can build a tower and you're going to be your own God 
and you're going to thwart the plans God has? It'd be like my son building a, a Lego wall around himself. and be like, you can't touch me, Dad. I'm like, yeah, right. Your tower's gone. I, what are you thinking? Like, I look back in hindsight and go, what could possibly make them think they were going to take on God and win? And here is the sort of shuddering answer. What made them think that? Each other. See, there are things that we will agree to do in a group we would never attempt on our own. Consensus and unity can be dangerous at times. See, the amount of times in this scripture they said words like, let us. Like, listen, we've all, we've all come under unity and consensus. This is the right thing. I can imagine someone would have been like, didn't God say? And they'd be drowned out by the rest of the crowd. They go, okay, I guess we're going to go do this. See, there is, there is danger in consensus sometimes. And our world loves the word unity. There can be danger in unity if you unify around, around the wrong thing. And these people convinced each other that this is the right thing and we can somehow defeat God. The danger of this story, listen, this story is not about a tower. This story is about what people are capable of if they work together for good or for bad. Listen, we as humanity worked together to build a rocket to go to the moon. Incredible. Look what we did together. The same humanity built the atomic bomb that destroyed so much. See, groups always maximize what you can do for good or for bad. And for me, as I read this story, I see the destructive power of groupthink. The destructive power of people convincing each other this is right. God had literally told them, like they saw the power of God, he flooded the earth. That's pretty impressive. And that same God said, go scatter and repopulate the earth. Pretty clear. And all it took was a little group of people convincing each other. That's a scary thought. See, many of our greatest regrets in life have come from a group giving you permission you wouldn't take on your own. Let's get real. Some of y'all have divorces in your past because some group of friends you were around said, oh, girl, you deserve better. Just leave them. That got real. Some guys are divorced because you had a group around you that convinced you, this is okay. And look how she treats you. Just, just move on. Some of y'all have credit card debt because you were with a group of friends. They said, dude, just swipe it. You deserve it. It's been a rough month. Just go buy it. And now you're sitting with it going, what? how did I get here? Some of y'all are in addictions because you had a group of friends that said, dude, just take a drink. No big deal. Just go. Let's try this. No big deal. And now you're sitting in the regret because when you get around a group of people, they can convince you to do things you would never do on your own. It's a scary thought. So when I was in college, I was a dum-dum. I was so dumb. I... I enjoyed having fun, but I had way less wisdom than I have now, and I still need a lot more. But in college, we would do dumb things, but I would never do dumb things by myself. Have you noticed that in college? Like, if you're a dude, at least, when you put three or four guys in the 18 to 20-year-old age range, put them together, nine times out of 10, you do something dumb, right? 
Like you would trust me by myself. Like, listen, that's a good dude. Put me with my three good friends in college. We were dummies. Here's what we did. And by the way, uh, don't do this. I don't know why I thought this was okay. We would go to Walmart at like midnight or one in the morning. Why? Because there's a Taco Bell in front of it. Oh, praise God. Two quesadillas, extra sauce, large uh, Pepsi. Anyway, so we go to Taco Bell and then we were bored. And we just convinced that, let's do, what should we do that's fun? And we went to college in a small town, nothing fun to do there. So what we invented was a game we called cart pushing. Uh, yeah, I know. It's very bad. So what we would do is people would leave carts on the parking lot and we'd pull my little Pontiac Sunfire behind a cart and we're all eating Taco Bell and laughing, playing music. Oh, it's awesome. And we would drive behind the cart and slowly take it from 5 to 10 to 15, 20, 25. We discovered about 35 miles an hour is as fast as those wheels could go before it goes bad. So we get to about 35 miles an hour and then we would turn off and let the cart roll. And it was the coolest thing where we hit a parking slab and it would, it, they'd jump in the air like 15, 20 feet and spin. And we're like, yeah, I look back as a father and go, you would have been arrested and in jail for that. I would have never done that by myself. But you put my three friends in the car and you do dumb things. Listen, the ability for a group to lead you and give you permissions you would never give yourself is a terrifying thought. And we still do it as adults. If I hear one news story about cart pushing, I'm coming to get you because they're going to come after me. Do not do it. You'll go to jail. Here, here's, here's the point. Here's the point I want to make. Listen, any consensus that God wouldn't join is not a consensus we should join. See, they had convinced each other. We all agree on what we should do. And God wouldn't join that consensus. And they still did. See, the story of the Tower of Babel was a group of people agreeing to do the wrong thing in the face of God. And it ultimately led to them being separated, scattered, and confused. Because that's what sin always does. And if I'm honest, our country seems to be cooperating to build towers all over the place. See, our culture right now is, is building towers that plant their feet, fold their arms, and stare God in the face saying, we know better. See, three times in the story, the, the people of Babel say, let us make. Let us make bricks. Let us make a city. Let us build this tower. And that word, let us, is the same Hebrew word that God used in Genesis 1 when he said, let us make man and woman in our image. The same Hebrew word God used to say, let us create here. They grabbed that same phrase and said, now let us make. Nice try, God. You made that. We're going to make it ourselves. God, you made the first paradise. You won't let us back, so we'll make our own paradise. If you don't think this is happening in our world today, you're, you're absolutely blind. You see, God said, let us make. And today we're, setting, we're saying, God, let us remake. In the garden, God said, let us make this in our image. And we're saying, let us remake this in our image. We say, let us remake marriage in our image now, God. We know better. Let us remake sexuality in our image, God. We know better. Let us remake morals and values in our image now. We know better, God. Let us remake the definition of sin or the definition of justice in our image now. We know better, God. We'll build our own paradise and the world wants to convince you that there is an absolute consensus that the new remakes is how it should be. And there's a consensus, and we all agree. This is what the world all agrees on now, as if we can stand in the face of God and have victory. 
in the same way the people at Babel thought, we all agree and that's enough. I think it's so easy in our world to look around and think, we all agree and that's enough. But listen, any consensus God wouldn't join, you shouldn't join. And times of prayer this week, I felt like God asked me to speak specifically to our students, middle school, high school, college, because you guys are on the front lines of this. See, the world's trying to convince you that there's a consensus in how things are being remade. And I'm here to tell you that consensus God would not join. And you are on the front lines in the complexity of what it means for you to go to school or college, for you to live in relationships in a world that's confused and in a world that's making fake consensus, living under fake unity, saying we're united and that's enough. It's not. In fact, what I believe God asked me to do is I wrote out a prayer. And 12 Stone family, maybe you have kids and this prayer is your prayer. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're like, I'm glad I'm past that. You are, but the rest of us aren't. And the kingdom needs the next generation to stand firm in the things that God would say, don't remake the things that I made right. Will you pray with me? If you have a student, grab a hand. If you're near a student, put a hand on his shoulder. I, I, I wanted to get this right. Here's, here's what I, I would pray over our students. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for the students at 12 Stone. This generations of students are being inundated with truth that the world is remaking in their image. God, would you guard their minds, their hearts, and their souls? Would you deepen them in the truth of your word? Would you give them strength and courage to stand in the face of lies and yet not lose the love you have for all people? Would you make them missionaries in their schools and college campuses? May they be like a city on a hill shining the light of Jesus in a dark world. And as you told Joshua, God, I believe you tell them, be strong and courageous for the Lord, your God is with you. In Jesus name. Amen. Students, your church supports you. We stand with you. And this is going to get more complicated, not less, by the way. See, what God was afraid of before he scrambled the language is that their rebellion would embolden them. So he Separated, scattered, confused, and then they were humbled again. We're in the process of rebelling and being emboldened. And it's going to get more complicated, not less. Which is why we're teaching series like this. We have to know where we came from. We have to know how God made it first so you can recognize a forgery. See, God said, let us make, and they said, let us remake. And ultimately, it all came to nothing. And God's plans still went forward. But we've been in this series long enough. We've now seen it play out where you can now begin to pick up the pattern of the Old Testament. If you're smart, you've watched the last four weeks of this series. You're starting to see the pattern. <laughs> we keep going back. Judgment and then mercy. We mess up. Judgment and then God gives mercy. You're seeing the pattern of sin and it never gets better. In fact, let's put the image back up here. Remember how this thing played out. We started in the garden. It was so good. Adam and Eve sinned. There was judgment. And then God gave mercy. And then the, the world got more and more and more wicked. So God sent a flood, wiped them out, saying, we're going to start over. God gave mercy to Noah so humanity could continue. And a couple generations later, here we are again, building a tower in our own image. 
You're seeing the pattern. And God showed mercy. He could have wiped them out, but he showed mercy again. Listen, we've all been trying to get back to paradise since the beginning of humanity. And you might think the way you're doing it is clever, but nothing is new under the sun. So I want you to see this. For Cain and Abel, they wanted back to paradise. So what did Cain do? Cain said, listen, if we can't have paradise, I'll get it myself. Don't miss this. Cain killed his brother because he didn't like the fact that God was honored and pleased with how he was worshiping and not how he was worshiping. So he said, I'll take you out and I'll take paradise myself. And you sit inside of marriage and you do this. If we can't have paradise, I'll get paradise for me. So you, you have a little private life over here. You have this internet search history that gives you a little paradise. And so you go, if this isn't going to work like I want it to, I'll just take it myself. You have your own little bank account, little stash of cash that I'll go do fun for me. Forget y'all. Cain and Abel, the way he wanted to get back to paradise was I'll get it myself. Then you look at the flood. And, and the way back to paradise is this. All of humanity's messed up. Let's restart and we get to pick the players. Let's just wipe all these other people out. Let's, let's restart. And this time we get to pick. It's Noah. He's a righteous man with a righteous family. This will work this time. Adam and Eve, they were dum-dums. Noah, you're righteous before God. Let's, let's, let's start over here and repopulate the earth. How long did it take to get to Babel? Two generations and we're back to sin? Don't pretend like in the quietness of your mind, you don't look at what's happening around you and think, if I could just get rid of this group of people, we could rebuild paradise here. Don't pretend that you don't watch your news channel and think, if I could get rid of the people that watch that news channel, then we could rebuild this country. It would be paradise. I assure you, the story of the flood tells you we would be back to sin again in a generation or two. If we could just send those people away, we could build our paradise. We still do that today. And the third at the Tower of Babel. We could just build and govern our way to paradise. We'll just make our own city, set up our own walls and our own defense, our own governing structure, and we'll build the paradise God refuses to build for us. And some of us think we can vote our way into paradise. There's a governing structure that would bring us back to paradise. Or there's a policy or a law that if we just put that in place, it would take us back to paradise. We don't have a political problem. We have a sin problem. And we still play these games in our head thinking, if only this, I could get back to paradise. All while excusing the fact that you are sinful too. And the second you get involved in the plan, you mess it up. See, we're still playing these games like the Tower of Babel in our head right now. This is as real and relevant today as it ever was. But here is the good news. The Bible doesn't end at Genesis 11. God is just getting started. In fact, here's how the storybook Bible ends the story of Babel inside of it. I want you to see this beautiful passage. After that, people scattered all over the world, which is how we ended up with so many different languages today, by the way. You see... God knew however high they reached, however hard they tried, people could never get back to heaven by themselves. People didn't need a staircase, they needed a rescuer. Because the way back to heaven wasn't a staircase, it was a person. That's Jesus, by the way. Spoiler alert. People could never reach up to heaven, so heaven would have to come down to them. And one day it would. 
I give you good news? We live in that one day now. What they didn't have a shot at because Jesus had not come, we are living in that time. What they hoped and longed for, how do I get back to how I was created to be? We live in that. And I want you to see the beauty of scripture because when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, leaving it empty, he reversed the curse of sin. He gave us a shot at not just the next try and the next try to get back to paradise. He could fix what was really broken in here. Jesus reversed what was confused and lost from sin. And the story that parallels the Tower of Babel happens after Jesus inside of Acts 2. It's called Pentecost. I want you to read excerpts from Pentecost and I'll explain it. When the day of Pentecost came, Jesus had now died, rose again. The church is being started. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. All these people that have been dispersed are now inside of Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? You see, at the Tower of Babel, a large group of people gathered together in order to make a name for themselves. Later on at Pentecost, a small group of people were gathered together whose sole desire was to make a name for Jesus. In the first instance, the language was confused and the tower fell. In the second instance, one man spoke and everyone heard in their own native tongue and the church was built. See, Jesus reversed the curse of what happened at Babel. And now today we live united under the name of Jesus, all races, all creeds, all languages, all socioeconomic stratus. We live under the banner of Jesus. But it doesn't change the fact that since the beginning of time, humanity has been trying to get back to paradise. And we try it all different ways. If you can't have it, I'll just make a little paradise for myself. If we could just get rid of this group and only this group was here, man, we could make a paradise for ourselves. Or I'll just build my own and set up my own governing structures. And there's some political thing we could do or some governing structure. We'll get it ourselves. And yet... The reality is the Tower of Babel tells us you cannot save yourself. So we started with that question, can I save myself? Can I, can I DIY my way back to the Father, back to how we were originally intended? And the answer is no. And if you're honest, maybe you have worked really hard to try to make your life and build your own paradise. If you're honest, maybe you put your faith in a lot of different things, hoping it would bring you back. See, that longing for you that you want to be back to things being right and perfect, the longing you have in a broken world for it not to be broken anymore, that's God-given. God created you with that in you because you weren't made for this broken, fallen world. You were made for another world altogether. The garden back at Eden, really the new heaven and new earth that Jesus promises in eternity. But the problem is we're sitting inside of this time, this era right now where we're building our own thing and we're in the moment thinking it's working. But in the quiet moments, you know that the things you're trying to build to fix that hole inside of you are leaving you scattered, confused, and ultimately empty. 
There's no purchase you can make. There's no vote you can cast. There's no group you can join up with and say, we'll build our own paradise. It ultimately will all come to an end. There's only one way to get back. That's through the person of Jesus. Heads up, we're gonna give you a chance to respond. See, the gospel tells us that there's no way for you to build your own way back to God. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount size of a check you can write or hours of volunteer service to build your way back. The salvation is not about you fixing yourself and you cleaning up like a self-help. If I do enough sort of sitting inside of yoga and thinking and working hard enough, I'll fix myself. No. See, salvation is not about you working harder. Salvation is not you building your way to God. It's God building his way back to you through the cross and through Jesus. And maybe you've placed your hope and your faith like the people of Babel did in something on earth. But here's the catch with salvation. You don't add Jesus to your tower building. You replace the tower with Jesus. Jesus is not something you add to. Jesus takes over. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be blunt and honest. Over these last two or three years, Maybe your faith, your hope, your trust, your belief for things to get better have been in something of this world. And that hope has crept in in a deep place in you. And it's produced confusion and emptiness. Maybe you've been trying to build your business big enough and your bank account big enough, like the walls around Babel, that you could just be protected from this world and you'll build your own paradise. Today, the Spirit of God's tapping on the shoulder saying, your faith and your trust is in something other than me. And you need to repent if you're already a follower of Jesus, or you need to bow and surrender if you've never done this. And maybe your words might look something like this prayer. No magic in these words. This is just a spiritual roadmap for you. Dear Jesus, you are God and I am not. That's a surrendering statement. God, I acknowledge I'm not God. I can't sit on the throne of heaven. My heart is rebellious towards you. I want to go my own way and build my own life. But I recognize that I cannot save myself. I believe Jesus died and rose again to rescue me. Please forgive me. I commit to build my life on you. In Jesus' name, amen. And in a minute, we're going to pray that prayer together. And for some of you, this is going to be a moment where you surrender your life to Jesus prayer this whole week is that the Holy Spirit would be ready for this moment right here. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction? Would you open eyes? Would you help us to see where our faith and our hope and our trust really lies? If there's any place that our faith and our hope is not in you, Jesus, awaken us to it. Will we repent of it? Bow to you, Jesus, because you are the only way back the only way back to the Father. So across the campuses, would you stand with us? Here at Sugarloaf, across our campuses, Tolstone Home, you do what you do. We're going to offer that prayer. And at the amen of that prayer, your pastors are going to step up and they're going to lead you in a, in a response moment. For you to go public in this moment, for you to respond so we can pray with you. 
But I want every voice across the campuses to read this prayer together. For some of you, you've already made this prayer. You're a follower of Jesus. This is you recommitting God. I believe this still. For others, you're going to say these words of this prayer and it's responding to what you're trying to communicate to God. God, I want to bow to you. So all voices across the campuses. Dear Jesus, you are God and I am not. My heart is rebellious towards you. I want to go my own way and build my own life. But I recognize that I cannot save myself. I believe Jesus died and rose again to rescue me. Please forgive me. I commit to build my life on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.